You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Double tackle, defensive end. If he's over, if he's not, he drives down the first man who's inside. What's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. We are joined tonight with our good friend, Mr. Paul Brettel from uh, Packers Wire. He also writes for Dairyland Express. You can find him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. We got a little bit of a delay. We're going to try to fight through it. Paul, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing excellent, Clayton. Hope I'm coming in clearly, but always happy to be talking Packers with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like I said, we just got a slight delay, but we'll muscle through it. It's no problem at all. You look great. Um, let's do this, man. Let's kind of talk about the injury report. That was the big news that's broke here in the last couple of days, obviously. Um, today seems like things shuffled around a little bit. Um, how do you see this injury report right now? What sticks out to you? And um, and maybe I, I know there's no way of guessing. There's no way of knowing, I should say, but maybe your guess at who will be playing this Sunday against the Saints. Yeah, it's a great question. And obviously the two big names on everyone's mind are Christian Watson and Aaron Jones. Uh, you know, Christian Watson did not practice on Wednesday, but Matt LaFleur said that that was planned. So he has practice on Tuesday or excuse me, Wednesday of this week. And then if we go back prior to the Falcons game, he practiced in a limited fashion on Friday. Um, like you said, it's always tough to guess about where these guys are going to be at, be at on Sunday, but I do feel good about his availability And really all we have to go off of is kind of the timeline that Romeo Dobbs was on, you know, when he had his hamstring injury uh, that started before the Seattle game, the final preseason. And he was out about 11 or 12 days before he returned to practice. Uh, So last Friday when Watson returned, that was around that same mark for him, 11 or 12 days. Uh, Dobbs had two days of practices. Watson only had the one. So Watson's going to end up having a little bit of additional time. Uh, in comparison to what Dobbs did before he returned week one against the Bears. So I would, again, I would I would venture to guess that he's going to be available as long as there aren't any setbacks. And, of course, the fact that Matt LaFleur said that uh, Thursday's mispractice was planned, obviously a good sign. So hopefully he'll be back out there on Friday. Uh, as far as Aaron Jones, again, we have to, I, I, do, I keep going back to that Romeo Dobbs timeline because he's about in that same range when Dobbs came back. You know, Dobbs was out, like I said, 11, 12 days. He practiced Thursday and Friday before the Bears week in a limited fashion uh, and was good to go on Sunday, although he was on a snap count. Uh, For Aaron Jones, this is, again, last Sunday was a week from his injury uh, that he suffered against the Bears. So what is that? Monday, 8, 9, 10. We're at day 11 right now. So it kind of all 
falls into that line. He practiced in a limited capacity a day. Obviously, what happens on Friday, whether he's out there or not, is ultimately going to be one of the more telling signs of his availability. But if he's out there, you know, I'm guessing he's going to be questionable and have a chance to play. Earlier in the week, I said I, I ventured to guess that I didn't know if he was going to be available or not. But right now, it very much seems to be 50-50. And if he is, I'll guess that he's going to be on a snap count. Got it. Got it. Yeah, if if we could somehow, some way, get both Christian Watson and Aaron Jones on the field, I'm feeling a lot better about this game against the Saints. That defense is pretty stacked. I mean, it, honestly, I, I feel like people are overlooking how good that defense is. Um, why don't we just kind of jump into that next, Paul? Um, what would you say with this Saints team, um, maybe maybe both offensively and defensively? What would you say are their their strengths of this uh, of this this Saints team coming in? Because it's you know for so long we thought of the Saints, it's Drew Brees, it's Sean Payton, it's all mm-hmm. of that, right? And this is a totally different Saints team, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the defensive side, you know, Matt Lafleur talked about it this week. You know, you really could pick that unit as a whole as a strength. Uh, he talked about their aggressiveness, their physicality, how sound they are. In, in playing together and they have a they have a stat going back to last season where they've had 10 straight games where they haven't allowed 20 points from an opponent um, so just a really impressive stretch of football that they're on right now but to be a little bit more specific I'm going to pick their secondary um, just in part because of the challenges that it's going to provide the the Packers young offense young passing game because that physicality that aggressiveness that Matt LaFleur referenced like it's that secondary in a nutshell he's he mentioned on Wednesday that they've talked with their receivers about, hey, they're going to grab you. They're going to be physical with you. Like they have to be prepared for that. And for young receivers, that can be, you know, that can be a, a big adjustment in terms of coming to the NFL. I Looking back at last season, you know, before week 10, before the offense really got rolling, you know, defenses, they weren't scared of the the deep presence that the Packers had on offense. They played closer to the line of scrimmage. They challenged these receivers. And yeah, they were rookies at the time, but Dobbs and Watson, they struggled against press coverage. And I don't think that's specific to them. I think that's, again, a young a young receiver being a rookie in the NFL. So how are Jaden Reed, how are Dontavian Wicks going to handle that? And again, Dobbs Watson's still relatively young and inexperienced himself. So it's going to be a really difficult matchup for this, or challenging, I should say, matchup for this Packers offense. Um, and again, the Saints are lights out in the red zone. They're lights out on third down. Like it's going to be really, really important that the Packers are, even if they're not, uh, you know, putting points on the board, they got to at least sustain some drives. Cause again, we go back to that fourth quarter against the Falcons game. Again, a lot of things went wrong, but the lack of complimentary football, the fact that the offense had 10 plays in the fourth quarter that they held the ball for three minutes, like that didn't help, especially when the defense is, I imagine, little tired, getting run over, like the Packers have to be able to at least put together a few first downs to give that defense a break if they're going to, you know, even if they're not going to put up points. So that passing game is absolutely something that we'll keep our eyes on. How do you negate that? Again, the Packers do a really good job of putting their pass catchers in positions to be successful. The amount of pre-snap motion they use, just the overall game plan versatility that they have, Matt LaFleur's ability to get guys in space. So it's not as if the Green Bay Packers don't have you know a, a counter to that punch from New Orleans, mm-hmm. but it is going to be a challenging matchup for them. And they're coming off one against the Falcons, who you know that's a pretty pretty physical secondary as well. So that's where I'll be keeping my eyes on, on that side of the ball. On the flip side, the Saints offense, 
I would I would mention their their vertical passing presence. Like they are they are not shy about trying at least through the first two games. They're not shy about trying to push the ball downfield. And what I'm really curious about is how the Packers are going to go about defending Chris Olave. Because we've seen the first two games, Jair has traveled, so to speak, you know, with DJ Moore, Drake London. And again, I always want to add the caveat, like when they break the huddle, Jair goes to the side of the field they're on. If those guys are in motion, Jair's not traveling with them. So it's not full-fledged. He's glued to one guy. Mm-hmm. But Olave has taken about 50% of his snaps from the slot this season. And I wouldn't be surprised if that number on Sunday is 60, 70%, because I don't know if Joe Barry's going to tell Jair to go inside. So that's going to be Chris Olave against Keyshawn Nixon. And we know, you know, Keyshawn Nixon is not lacking confidence. He's up for any challenge, certainly. But again, it's Jair Alexander. Like you would ideally want to have him on the opponent's best receiver and the opponent's best receiver this week, probably going to spend a lot of time inside. So very curious to see how they how they go about handling that matchup and a, a potential trickle down to that. If the if the opponents go to receivers in the slot, Packers are obviously going to be in nickel five defensive backs a lot of the game. You know, the Saints, they don't have this, you know, they don't have the Falcons run games, but they like to run between the tackles. And they've had some success doing so. And when the Packers are in nickel, that means two interior defensive linemen, two red rushers. Like they're going to be susceptible potentially against the run game if they're in that. So how are they going to how are they going to counter that aspect? And I, I rewatched the the uh, Panthers Saints game earlier this week, and man, Taysom Hill just running quarterback draws out of shotgun, and like you know it's coming, but they're yeah. still getting that push. They're still picking up five, six, seven yards. Every time he does that, not going to lie, a little worrisome watching that. Uh, so, again, how are the Packers going to counter that? We saw during the the preseason and in training camp that when they did want to get uh, extra defender, extra interior defenders on the field when they're in nickel, they did drop to one linebacker. Uh, Devondre Campbell came off the field. They kept Wick Quay out there. Again, had three interiors, two edge rushers, and five defensive backs in Quay. So maybe we see that look. But I think that's just going to present a really interesting matchup again. Because one, is Jair going to go in the slot to cover Olave? Or is that going to be Nixon's responsibility? And two, if they're going to live in nickel all day, which they, I mean, kind of already like to do. um, You know, are they going to, is the interior defensive line going to be stout enough to stop those interior runs that we know the Saints are going to throw at them? Got it. Got it. And it's kind of, uh, you know, when you've seen Atlanta's run game there Sunday, it was a good mix of both, but they did like to use those cutback lanes. They like to stretch mm-hmm. that thing out wide. So this is really kind of a change of pace there too. Um, as far as weaknesses in the Saints, how do you think the Packers may look to attack them on offense? And then also um, what do you think they're uh, they're kind of looking to uh, maybe gain an edge and advantage when they're on the defensive side of the ball as well, what do you think the weaknesses are of the Saints? I mean, for the Saints' offense, it's their offensive line, specifically in pass protection. I mean, Drew, or excuse me, I was going to say Drew Brees, Derek Carr. Yeah. He's been sacked uh, eight times through two games already. I mean, you, if you look at more of some of the like PFF, ESPN's advanced metrics, you know, they rank 26 in pass blocking efficiency from PFF, 28th in pass block win rate from ESPN. Like that's absolutely a part of their of that unit that's susceptible. And I looked up their specific pressure numbers. 60% of their pressures are coming from either left tackle Trevor Penning or center Eric McCoy. So 
you know, we got Kenny Clark right in the middle there. So it could be, you know, he had a really, really good game against Atlanta. Could be another strong performance from him. And then we know the Packers edge rushers are from a pass rushing standpoint, you know, some of the best out there. But, you know, the Packers have them created the most pressures in football through the first two games. And so that's absolutely going to be an opportunity for them. Uh, it starts, of course. You got to eat your vegetables on early downs. You got to stop the run <laughs> to put the Saints in those passing situations so you can pin your ears back and so you can go get after Derek Carr. Now, with that said, I just mentioned the Saints' vertical passing presence. Like they like to take their shots too. So I think the opportunity is going to be there. Like they want to have the opportunity to push the ball. And with that, the Packers are absolutely going to have the opportunity to, to go get after them. Um, on the flip side, so going against the Saints defense, I mean, it goes back to the run game. The Saints, you know, again, this defense is really, really good. You look at, I wrote an article over at Packers Wire, you know, detailing some of the numbers and Matt LaFleur's comments on them and basically pick out a stat. Like I even had a line in there after I went through like, you know, basically list off like five different stats at each different level. And it was like, you get the idea. Like this is a really good defense. So it's it's tough to necessarily find a really weak spot, but in the run game, they've been susceptible. Again, it's two games. They've been right. susceptible to at least giving up some chunk runs. Like they'll they've gotten a lot of few yard gains, but they've given up some bigger ones as well. So there's at least that opportunity there. And as we talk about, and I know I'm sure we've covered this on here before, but if you're going to open up things in the passing game, make things a little bit easier on your pass catchers on your quarterback. Man, having having a, a strong run game to lean on is a great way to do that. Coming off the the Falcons game when Jordan Love was meeting with the reporters, and he talked about how their inability and he wasn't singling out the run game because there were some missed opportunities on first down in the pass game too. But in general, their their first down offense against Atlanta wasn't that great, um, and it, that puts them behind the eight ball puts them in the obvious passing situations. It allows the defense to get into a favorable matchup, and they're the ones doing the dictating at that point. So how do you combat an aggressive secondary? You, you, you move the ball on the ground initially to give yourself the advantage from a play-calling standpoint, um, from a dictating standpoint, to be able to have that opportunity to open up you know, those, those potential opportunities in the passing game. So success on the run game is going to be really, really important for Green Bay. Obviously getting Aaron Jones back plays a huge role in that. But I also want to point out that it's not like coming off the Bears game, like this offensive line was doing great as in a, as a run-blocking unit either. So big question mark. Obviously, Elton Jenkins is going to be out. I mean, at this point, I'm not, I'm not sure anyone knows what David Bakhtiari's availability is going to be uh, on, on Sunday. So absolutely something to watch. And how they go about constructing the offensive line unit, I think is going to be really interesting as well because – there's options. We know that, but you know, we could run through their options and here's an option, but well, here's the downside of it. Here's an option. You know what I mean? There's always, there's, there's always the, but that comes after it. Yeah, definitely. You know, I talked to Mike wall yesterday or the day before yesterday and I asked him, I said, Mike, don't try to guess what they're going to do. What would you do based mm -hmm. off of what you've seen on film study? Who would you put at left guard? He said, Rashid Walker would be his pick at left guard. And I was like, whoa, okay. So it's rare. It seemed like it's rare that you would take a tackle and put it at guard, right? They they tend to have leaned on Royce Newman over the years, right? And even John Runyon before he was a starter, uh, that type of thing. What what do you think, Paul? Who do you think would be playing in Elton Jenkins' place? Now, let's just assume that Bach's going to be playing, mm -hmm. right? Tom will stay at right tackle. 
based off of just the uh, just the subs, right? Just the backups. Who would you plug in at left guard? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, based on what we've seen so far, I'd probably have to go with Royce Newman would be my guess. Um, reason being the experience, I, I, you know, and Sean, Sean Ryan, I did think had a more consistent training camp um, than what Royce Newman in Royce Newman did. Um, you know, at this point, we have a good idea of what Royce Newman can, who he is as a football player, yes. um, you know, has some steady stretches, but man, when he loses, he loses. And, you know, the direction that the Packers go is going to be interesting because we all know Matt LaFleur, best five, best five, best five. <laughs> and if it's truly the best five, that probably, and let me know what your thoughts are, but that probably means moving Tom to left guard and putting Rasheed Walker at right tackle. Now, as I say that, like I, I have zero <laughs> belief that that's what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> but based on who your best five is, what the depth chart has looked like, like that's your best five. But in terms of maximizing Zach Tom, for example, who's been really, really good at right tackle, uh, a premier position, like you want to keep him there. Yeah. So that's why I think it's going to come down to Newman or Ryan. And they're probably ironing out that out this week here in practice. But that's why I think that Tom's going to end up staying at, at right tackle. Got it. Yeah. If, if, if you were to ask me, um, you know, I was kind of leaning toward Royce and, and here's, what's cool too. You know, Royce didn't have a bad game. He really didn't mm -hmm. once Elton went, went out. Now there was one play specifically that it's, it's funny how as a Packers fan, you're overly emotional you watch the game live, you see something totally different than you see on tape. And then you talk to a former NFL lineman and they point out something you didn't see either. I'm just literally running in circles right now. So um, when I first watched the tape, I'm thinking, okay. Was it that third and one? The Dillon yes, run? Yeah. yeah. And, Where and it looks like crazy. Newman got yeah. yeah, because I was all over A.J. Dillon. Like, how's he stumbling the back? That's crazy. And then I go back and watch the tape. And what I caught on to was, hey, this is, this is more on Royce. You could see that A.J – tried to patty cake his feet because he's like what you know what are they doing up there like it, you know it was just a weird blocking scheme and then when I talked to Mike Mike Wall was like Clayton you look, look at what they're asking Royce to do here they're asking first of all the D tackle is slanting inside towards the center they're asking him to double that D tackle with the center and then turn 180 degrees and try to catch the mm -hmm. Mike coming in mm -hmm. it's like you've got to simplify these things and I'm telling you yeah. Paul the first thing that popped in my mind was a, an ex-player. You may have heard of him. His number was 12. He said last year we need to simplify things, mm -hmm. and everybody jumped on him over it, right? So yeah. when I heard and, that, I was like, oh, gosh. But, yeah, so uh, and I, I like what Mike said, though, about Rasheed Walker, and Mike's real big on footwork, and that and, and this is what he does for a living. You know, he helps train mm -hmm. young, young linemen and even linemen right now in the NFL. And he said when you look at Rasheed Walker, he's got great feet. He has excellent feet. He thinks that he would be the best to plug and play there at left guard in a pinch. Um, but he's like me too. He hates the thought of moving Tom away from right tackle. And now you're getting kind of uh, a little worse at both positions. Cause I think we would all agree. Zach Tom isn't as good a left guard as Elton Jenkins. So you'd be getting worse there with Elton being injured, but also whoever comes in place at right tackle is going to be worse than Zach Tom, but that's kind of mm -hmm. how I see it. Yeah. And, and, AJ Dillon was talking about that run and the reason that he stumbled is because as he's getting the ball, he can see the, the, <laughs> the hole collapsing. And right. so he's thinking, all right, I got it. He's starting to already like get into position 
to lower his shoulders for contact. And that just, you know, got everything out of whack for him. So just, you know, like you said, when you go back and look at it and then obviously you get the perspective of, of a Mike wall, uh, just really shows how it sounds like from the start that that play really had little chance of success. And then as everything unfolded, it just continued to crumble and pile upon itself to the point where, you know, AJ Dillon is trying to prepare for contact before he's even there. And, and ended up stumbling, unfortunately. And one other, I just want to make a quick note on Elton Jenkins because I think it was it was on Wednesday. I think it was Jason Wildy who asked Lafleur this, but uh, he because they haven't put him on IR yet. We all know Jenkins has the MCL sprain, and uh, Wildy asked him, you know, is that a specific reason? Because you're hopefully more week to week with him. And Matt Lafleur said basically that's what they're hoping for at this point. So. Uh, a positive sign, at least at this stage, that this isn't going to hopefully be, you know, if he's on IR, he has to miss at least four games. So I'm guessing that they're under the impression that hopefully anyways, it's going to be less than that. So uh, a positive sign in that regard. Another good conversation I heard Jason Wildy on his pod or his show um, asked Mark Towser and, and it's funny, they them bickering back and forth like they do. They sound like a married couple. I absolutely <laughs> love it. But he's trying to get this information out of Mark Towser. And essentially what Mark said was, well, Wildy was asking him, how long would an MCL sprain take? And he said, well, it depends on how severe. And Wildy, I know Mark, but how long? He just wants an answer, right? <laughs> I loved it. But Towser basically said on the low end, two weeks, and on the high end, probably six weeks. So you're looking mm-hmm. at somewhere, but that's where they settled somewhere between two to six weeks. And, you know, that is a little bit reassuring for me because, you know, when you hear of an MCL, you immediately think, Oh, oh gosh, is it, is it completely damaged or, you know, is it going to mm-hmm. be one of these deals? We might get him back for the second half of the season. Um, that was relieving for me. And, and even with Mark Towser, he'd be the first to tell you, you know, Mark Towser was not the, the most, uh, physically in shape offensive lineman. He was built a little bit different, right? So the thought of someone like him carrying all that extra weight and being able to come back that quick gives me a lot a lot more hope for someone like Elton Jenkins, which Mike Wall pointed out is just a just a specimen. You know, he's just one of those guys mm-hmm. that's a, a great athlete. Um, let's do this. We're at the 22-minute mark. We'll kind of wrap it up with this. You kind of hit on the pressures already. I was going to ask, and for those of you listening, go check out his article at Dairyland Express on the pressures uh, through two games. Excellent read there. He also wrote another article for Packers Wire, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of talking about the encouraging things that you've seen from Jordan Love so far this year. We'll kind of wrap it up with that. Um, What do you think about Jordan Love so far? And maybe hit on one or two things that you hit on in that article so everybody can kind of get a kind of a, a, a teaser for when they go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I was asked that question or a general question earlier this week about we're two weeks in. How do you feel about the Packers? I said pretty good because I feel pretty good about Jordan Love and what we've seen from him because, you know, obviously we want them to win games. The Packers want to win games this season, but the ultimate goal is to figure out if, like, he's your guy moving forward. And, like, the the worst outcome this season is not missing the playoffs. It would be getting to the offseason and being – and they're kind of in between on whether he is or is not. But, you know, not – signs point to him being the guy. And again, that goes back to the optimistic side of it. And one of the reasons that, um, or things I've stood out about him that I've really liked, and it goes back to training camp is his, his willingness, his ability to push the ball downfield, but still take care of it. Like right. that's an elite combination right there. And I, we saw that throughout training camp. He knows when to take the deep shot. He knows, all right, when should I fit this into the tight window? 
And for the most part, he knows if those aren't there, he's patient enough to continue to go through his progressions and he'll take the check down if he has to take the check down. And we've seen that translate over into the first two weeks of the regular season here. And it's not just a, but he's willing to hit the, to take those plays. Like he's hitting a lot of them too. Like his, his passer rating is as high as it is because he's connecting on those intermediate and deep throws. Cause his overall completion percentage, I think it's 60 ish percent somewhere in that ballpark, like nothing that leaps off the screen, but he's showing a, a willingness to take those throws, but he's not putting the ball in harm's way. I mean, the, from the Falcons game, there was that final drive where that play should have been picked off by Atlanta, but he doesn't have any interceptions. And I mean, to a degree that's kind of, you, you never want him to put the ball in harm's way, but it's the final drive. You got to make a play, whether something's there or not. Like, does that same throw happen in the second quarter? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But my point is like, he's taking care of the ball too. So that part's been really promising for me again, because of you put that combination together of being able to make those plays with also taking care of the ball. And man, that just elevates the entire offense. One other thing I'll point out is, yeah, he's got he's got an elite arm talent. Like some of those throws, I mean, Matt Lafleur said that throw to Samori Toure, the last one of the game that was incomplete. Lafleur even said, "There's five guys in the league that can make that toss." <laughs> and head over to Andy Herman's Twitter account because he dubbed over Lafleur's comments with the play, so you can watch oh, the play nice. as Lafleur's talking about it. It was it was fantastic, and Lafleur is talking about you know if you look at where Love's releasing the ball and where Toure is because there's pressure in his face. Like, it, it, it's an incredible throw. And the fact that the head coach is going up there and saying, yeah, five guys in the NFL can do that, like, that's elite arm talent. We saw that throw to – it was incomplete again. Like, his two of his best throws were incomplete. The yeah. flea flicker was one, the deep ball, uh, the corner route to Wicks in the end zone. Like In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. That he's was beautiful. A beautiful throw. He's putting the ball on the money, and that just elevates the level of what the offense can be when you have the ability to uh, throw guys open, create on your own, to ad lib, which he's shown that he can do. And again, I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Aaron Rodgers, but when you have that arm talent in this Lafleur offense, like you get an MVP. And again, not saying that that's what love's going to do. That's still unknown. There's a lot to, that has to take place, but I'm just saying that you see the pieces of the puzzle for a successful quarterback in this league. And again, I think that's what's uh, hands down been the most encouraging part about the start of this Packer season. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, he, when he came out there in the fourth quarter, and I know the fourth quarter was it was hard to watch. I get it. But mm-hmm. when he came to the line on that first down play, can to a double crosser, right, play action double crosser, got it. And, and I, we walked back through this on Chalk Talk, Paul. I was like, imagine what the narrative is today if he hits Romeo Dobbs on that crosser. And I've heard some people say Romeo actually didn't run the right route. LaFleur said something about it. I haven't heard that yet. All I know is if that wasn't the plan they were trying to can to, they should can to it because Romeo was wide open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like I was telling Jacob on that when we were doing that chalk talk. I'm like, imagine the story is you've got a one-score lead. You come to the line of scrimmage. The first-year starter cans out of a run to a play-action pass, hits a 75-yard touchdown, and now he's leading the league with seven touchdowns, no interceptions, and probably the front-runner for MVP. But think about that. That's that's a huge swing. Instead, we're sitting here going, this was a devastating one-point loss, yeah. and, and there's still some people saying Jordan Love probably ain't the guy. I'm going, you you aren't seeing the same quarterback I'm seeing. I'm excited about Jordan Love. And, I mean, anytime you lose a game as they did, like that's going to sting. But, honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to the end of the year and we look back at that Falcons game, you know, it's behind us at that point. We go, you know, that really wasn't that bad of a loss. You know, that's right. – that the the Falcons, they Bijan Robinson was excellent, of course, but they put together like to their credit, like the other team gets paid to play as well and are trying to win games. Like Absolutely. they put together a really, really good game plan against that Packers defense. Like it wasn't just that they couldn't stop Bijan. Like it felt like they were the Packers were just guessing at some point. And yeah. that's a credit to Atlanta because of coming out throwing the ball, running inside, running outside. Like they just gave them a ton to look at and then continued to do that throughout the game. Yeah, and and the big thing to me, and we'll let you go, Paul, was they even when they were down, they stuck to the game plan. They didn't abandon their game plan. They stuck to it and just kept hammering away. Um, It was kind of the perfect storm for the result to end up the way it was, but I I think that could be a loss that galvanizes this team. Mm -hmm. I can see that, you know, because even with everything that went wrong, two dropped interceptions, right, whatever it was, 11 or 14 yards gained in the fourth quarter. That's it, right? You still mm-hmm. only lost by one point. Like, to me, it's – yes, it, it's, it, it hurts, but at the same time, it's like if they put it together, they probably would have won by two or three scores, you know? So, mm-hmm. pretty exciting stuff in my opinion. But, Paul, we can't thank you enough, buddy. You are the best. And, again, everybody, go check out those articles that we just talked about. You can check him out at Packers Wire, also at Dairyland Express. Make sure you hop over to his YouTube channel. Just search Paul Brettel um, on YouTube. And then make sure you follow him on X at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, you're one of my favorite followers, man. I appreciate your time, pal. Hey, always a blast chatting with you, Clayton. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Have a good night. All right. That was Paul Brettel, the awesome Paul Brettel, man. Um Make sure you go subscribe to his YouTube channel, gang. You probably already are, but his stuff is just so concise, straight to the point. I know I say it every week, but I'm telling you, it's so true. He, I, I just, there's something about it. I appreciate someone who gets right to the point, and that's exactly what he does. You know, he's a Packer fan, so you're going to get a little bit of that. He's going to report it honestly, but you're also not going to get the whole, well, I'm not a Packer fan. So it kind of feels like there's a spin on it sometimes. Paul is just straightforward. But we got Tim live in Green Bay joining us now. Tim, how you doing, Bubba? Doing great. Doing great. Happy to be here. Good deal, man. Good deal. Let's do this, man. Let's jump right into uh, – and I apologize, people in the chat that were asking questions. And if we had time, I would definitely fire them at Paul. Um, but unfortunately, he uh, limited on time, 
And I know if it were up to him, if I if I let him, he would answer every one of them and be putting himself out. So please understand that uh, we're kind of got a limited time frame there with Ball. So I don't I want to respect his time. And he actually went five minutes over what we had planned. So always appreciate him. Let's do this, man. Let's talk about the injury report real quick. Uh, Tim, I feel like we got good news today. I, I think it's somewhat mixed reviews, but here is the uh, the new injury report as of Thursday. Zane Anderson, I bet you can't guess what his injury is. It's a hamstring. Uh, <laughs> he did not participate. Uh, Box sat out for veteran rest, obviously the knee. Rashawn Gary was limited with knee, so I'm sure it, they may up his reps a little bit more this week. Elton Jenkins obviously did not participate uh, because he has that MCL sprain. Going to be probably two to six weeks is my guesstimation based off of what Mark Towser said on Wildey and Tausch. Um, Aaron Jones, limited participation. So we got to see Aaron Jones today, Tim. That's good news. Lucas Van Ness, this was a big sigh of relief. Two days in a row, limited participation with the elbow injury. I have, I don't have any reason to believe he's going to miss significant time over it. It might have just been precautionary um, when he took that lick there trying to play the run. Uh, in that Falcons game. Hopefully he's able to go this Sunday as well. Christian Watson was limited yesterday, did not participate today, but we'll hit on that again here in just a second. And Daniel Whelan, obviously full participation. On the um, Saints side, everybody's pretty much healthy other than Jamal Williams. So they're not – they're expected to not have much of a running game, but you got to understand that the way our defense is designed, we uh, we're willing to give up the run to limit the explosive plays – uh, you could probably just about plug anybody in there and get somewhat uh, of some success there. But when it comes to that, also uh, Foster Mon- uh, Moreau is limited to de- today with an ankle injury as well for the Saints. So that's kind of how the injury report sets. Now, I wanted to hit on something real quick. I think I've got it wrote down here um, that I believe it was a tweet. I might actually might have put it in. Um, yeah, there it is in, in the ticker. Basically, Matt LaFleur today said there was not a setback with the hamstring, according to Matt LaFleur. Quote, he ran two days in a row and gave him a day of rest, and we'll see how he feels tomorrow. Okay, and it, to my to the best of my understanding, that was referring to Christian Watson. So that's good news there too, Tim. It seems like that's somewhat planned. But how are you feeling about this injury report, man? I mean, as good as we can, all things considered going into this game i guess uh van ness to me is that's good to see that the elbow i believe it's his right elbow hopefully nothing super serious um and you know scoop being on the road to hopefully getting some snaps here uh in a game (laughs) is always a good sign um (laughs) and then again our speculation on big e you know I, i i'm with that two to six weeks so i'll i'll take the the middle ground and hopefully four tops and we start to see him uh again um but you know aaron jones is really going to be you know the one that i'm really watching a lot going into this saints game because uh we are going to have to run the football to beat the new orleans saints we have to effectively run the ball um and stay committed to the run and not get away from the run um you know later in the game you know because if we don't have the, the, the run game going at all, it's going to be a long day. I, I mean, that's just based on everything I've been looking at. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, and, you know, I feel a little bit better after seeing some practice footage. This video I'm going to show you here actually came from uh, Matt Schneiden. Uh He posted it on Twitter. And you can see, to me, it looks like Aaron Jones is kind of full speed. 
he looks good to go. But I'm going to play this video real quick here. Uh, just please ignore the sound. Obviously, you got the wind and the practice noises, but check it out. This is, uh, I think, Jordan Love throwing a pass to Aaron Jones. So I can't imagine. I know it's just simple. It's just a, you know, a little wheel route there, but I can't imagine they would have him out there doing that if if that you know Hammy was in that bad of shape. I believe you just wouldn't have seen him come out, right? So, I love when they're on Clark Hinkle Field and you can oh, see that, let's, let's Lambo watch in the background. Time. Yeah, Man. let's watch it one more time for that that reason, Tim. What a setting, dude. What a setting. Could you imagine? The, like, like The cathedral of professional football yeah. right there in the background. Beautiful. Beautiful day for ball, too. And and great to see that, obviously. Um, so, you know, going into, into a game coming off of uh, no practice and then limited practice for Aaron Jones to to see him moving like that is a that's a good sign, too. So, yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Um, let's see here. We got Ryan Henson in the chat says Watson changes how any defense is forced to play us, not Tariq level, but close. Absolutely. Um, you get him back on the field, you get him and Aaron Jones back on the field. Defenses have to play it totally different. I like what you're saying though, Tim, because they do have a strong secondary, right? You know, Lattimore is one of the best in the business. So you're going to have to try to stay away from him, obviously. And, um, you know, with that, that pass rush as well, especially with Cam Jordan, you've got to really be careful. Um, actually, I'm going to pull this up real quick. You guys may struggle to see it. I'll I'll read it off to you, though, um, real quick. And, again, Ryan Henson, thank you so much for the chat there, buddy. Um, so, basically, their strengths on defense is you've got um, in the front four right there in their nickel, you're going to have Granderson off of the right side. From the offensive perspective, it's the left side. And his PFF grade is an 89.9 there, seventh highest graded edge rusher. On the right side, you've got Cam Jordan who can kick inside but mostly plays kind of that – that more of that four technique on the uh, on the left side of the defense, the right side of the offense. So he'll be yep. going up against Zach Tom. That makes me feel a little bit better. I want to see how Tom does against him. That's now, the, that's the entire reason to keep Tom at at right tackle is because you got Cam Jordan over there. Absolutely. Like, I mean, why why start experimenting move, moving around <laughs> yeah. against a guy like that? You know, definitely. And it, and if Bach is healthy and he's able to go you want him matched up against Granderson there on the left side, obviously. If not, we're going to learn a little bit more about Rasheed Walker, right, and uh, and kind of see what he can do. So that's kind of how the strength of the defense sits there. Obviously, Lattimore on the outside. You've got uh, Demario Davis there in the middle, second highest graded inside linebacker. Um, I think I don't think it's a coincidence that he and Granderson grade out so well playing with him playing stacked on Granderson. They kind of play off of each other there really, really well. That left side is pretty stout. You know, you've heard us talk about in the last two weeks, the first two weeks of the season, let's attack the left side. That seems to be the weak side of the Chicago Bears and, of course, the Atlanta Falcons this week. It's, it's kind of balanced on the edges. To me, it suggests let's run between the tackles. Let's really try to jam that thing in the A and B gap and then run a little play fake off of it. I don't think they're great. Uh, at the safety position, but again, Lattimore roaming around there, you got to be really, really aware of where he's at for sure. Tyron, Tyron Matthew too is, you know, I mean, he he may not be the player he was a few years ago, but you have to respect a guy like that back there. You can't get caught sleeping on him. Yeah, no doubt. Look at this. Deadfish said that May is suspended has been suspended for three games. When did that happen? I wonder. Because uh, he's oh, got a substance abuse. Yeah, substance abuse policy violation, I believe. 
Did, Don't now, quote me on that. Has he played this year, though? Because he had a PFF grade. That was kind of strange. Um, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. We'll have to dig into that. Regardless, though, if he's not playing, he's not playing. Appreciate that, Dead Fish. Thanks for the, the info there, buddy. Um, I'm with you, Clayton. We got to run. We got to hit the A and B gaps to set up play action and, and these things because with a, you know, a, a decent secondary like this, and then you know guys up front, like we have to keep them honest. Like if they get to pin their ears back at any time, and just start keyholing us, we're in we're in trouble, and, yeah. and we'll be in trouble quick and in a hurry. So, uh, and, and you know, when I say run the ball effectively, I mean we don't. You know, they're known for giving up uh, chunk runs like Paul was was just talking about. But I don't even think it's it's that. I think we just need a steady run game, you know, four to six yard hitters consistently and uh, keeping keeping that secondary honest, man. Keep them on their toes because then we'll get our shots. Right. Absolutely, man. Um, You know, the other thing, too, is Bach. Right. Let's talk about Bach for a second. Now, you guys, if you've been following this story, boy, has it grown legs. Um, so essentially what happened was Bach was a scratch for the game last Sunday, right? So when, when he was a scratch for Sunday, immediately people were like, well, what's going on? I I don't understand. Like he, you know, he's supposed to be healthy now. Is it because he's protesting playing on turf? You guys know my stance. We've had some fun with it with Jacob's conspiracy corner, obviously, (laughs) but you guys know my stance. I don't think that was the case. Um, now, I'm trying to go through it in chronological order here, exactly how things unfolded. The day of the game, I believe it was, David Bakhtiari's brother sent a tweet out, and it basically showed some of the best players in the league who were on injured reserve or injured right now because of turf, in their opinion. I'm not saying I completely agree, although I probably agree with them more than I do the uh, the alternate uh, opinion of that. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. But – so he's. I took it as he's saying, look, you guys keep playing on turf. You're going to be without your best players. It's just the way it is. Like people are going to continue to get hurt. That's the way I took it. Now, of course, he could have worded it different, but like Bach talked about today or yesterday, rather, his, his brother was doing a little bit of trolling too. So that came out. And then immediately one of the – there's multiple people reporting this. I'm going to name drop a couple. On Wildy and Tausch, Jason Wildy said he talked to Rasheed Walker and Rashid Walker said that Bach let him know Saturday night, hey, be ready, I'm not playing tomorrow, okay? So immediately people started to say, well, if he let Rashid Walker know and he didn't let the coaching staff know, then that's a douche move. And, and basically just everybody jumped all over – not everybody. Those people that don't like Bach jumped all over Bach, right? So the way that was worded from Wildy kind of caught me off guard going, you don't know that. Like, there's nothing to suggest that happened. It's just simply Bach let Rashid know that, hey, you're going to be going tomorrow. Probably let him know as soon as he came out of the trainer's room. Hey, look, I, I can't go tomorrow because my knee is swollen up. When LaFleur snapped back in the press conference, right, I didn't take that just like I told you guys on this podcast. I didn't take that as he, he doesn't want to talk about it because Box, you know, refusing to play. I took it as, guys, we've covered this for two years now. His knee keeps swelling up. There's nothing else I can answer about it. If he's able to go, he'll go. That's the way I took it. Now, you guys know I tend to side with the coaching staff. I'm a coach's apologist, I guess you could say. Um, I don't believe the coaches should be obligated to give every single detail to reporters. That's just the way I feel. But I'm a fan. I'm not a reporter. I know they've got a job to do as well. Now, Towser was kind of 
picking picking at Wildy a little bit because he and Rob Domofsky got together before the press conference and they structured their questions to play off of each other. Like, okay, Rob, you ask this, then I'll come back with that. And they were trying to corner Matt LaFleur into answering something that he probably didn't want to answer, whether or not uh, Bach is actually healthy or hurt. We all know the Packers don't want that information out. They want to stay as secretive as possible and rightfully so. Okay. Um, So with all that being said, this came out now, I believe yesterday. Okay. Well, first of all, let me get the, the tweet here from Matt Schneidman. Uh, Matt Schneiman tweeted out, and you can check this out at The Athletic if you're uh, you know, a member there. It says from an article, he said, quote, I would never leave them hanging out to dry. I signed up to play. I plan on playing. And when I can play, I'm going to play. So yep. he's speaking on that right now. I've got the audio clip that Matt Schneiman recorded in the locker room here. Okay, it's actually a video of David Bakhtiari. I want you to notice how quickly this video cuts off. And Bach actually looks at Rob Domofsky and says, Rob, you didn't write about that, did you? And he's basically calling people out for writing articles about stuff that they had no facts about. Okay, so here's David Bakhtiari. And you can see he gets a little bit testy. And and they, I'm sorry, man, but they look like a bunch of whoop puppies. Like, oh, crap, he's mad. Watch this. Uh, if I wasn't going to play on turf, I'd probably make more of a ruckus. Um, my brother loves drama and he told me he was going to do it. I'm like, go right ahead. I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care what you do. It's your social media. And, uh, no, that was not the reason at all. Uh, I would, if it was going to be, it'd be something, it would definitely be something different, but no, I mean, I clearly have an injury that's been up and dealing with. And I think that like a lot of just journalism, I think anyone here that didn't run with the story, Bob, I don't know if you did or didn't. Well, anyone who did should definitely make sure to right wrongs. Because if you don't, then is that really journalism? If it's only just a hot topic or the lowest hanging fruit? Well, that's a question. He actually said right there when it cuts off, he says, I'm asking a question. And it cut off real quick. <laughs> but, yeah. Tim, what do, you, what do you think, man? Am I being too much of a fan? I love it. I love when anybody pushes back against – I just hate that little – the little backbiting, the little, you know, let's, let's try to, that got you moment. I can't stand that. I can't stand it in politics on both sides. I can't stand it in sports media. It drives me absolutely insane. Of course, I'm, you don't, you don't find me watching first take where they literally script arguments when they don't even believe what they're saying just to create an argument because people like to see people argue. But uh, what'd you think of box comments there? Did that, did that bother you at all? No, not at all. And and I remember telling my wife uh, in the very beginning that all of this rumors or speculation about, you know, a protest against turf or whatever, you, you got to it's predicated on the belief that you actually believe that David Bakhtiari would willingly do something to hurt his team, that that he would be healthy enough to play and choose not to, to the detriment of his own team. And I just don't. I don't believe that. And I love what he said when he's like, well, if I was, if I was protesting, I would have made more of a ruckus. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole point of a protest is to draw attention to the fact that this is why uh, I'm not, I'm protesting. Right. So why would he, you know, if this was, if it was in fact him refusing to play on turf, why wouldn't he have just said that? So clearly it is a classic money and <laughs> there was some, some swelling or money. Um, <laughs> yeah, that you know, and I love seeing uh, mainstream media sweat 
it's awesome. It's good to see the players aren't the only guys sweating there in the locker room. And yeah, lo, lo and behold, let let David Bakhtiari try to ask a question just once, and bye bye goes the camera, and the recorders are turned off very quickly. So, yeah. you know, you know, Bach is not going to tolerate any nonsense. So, I and love it, it. That's why some people don't like him, and you know, there's there's some he's what I call grandfathered in, right? You got some fans that they know that he is a close friend to Aaron and they hate Aaron. So they're just automatically going to hate. But I've heard it a thousand times this week. I just want this Aaron Rodgers attitude completely out of the locker room. I'm going, what are you talking about? This Aaron Rodgers attitude. Like we loved him in week one when he was flipping off the Chicago Bears crowd and absolutely dominating them. The knee swells up. And it's all right. Throw him to the curb again. We don't need him now. Like, what did we, we ever doing? think that maybe the performance in Chicago is what causes knee to get all swolled up? Exactly. Like maybe, uh, maybe a hard day's work. And you know, these are the same people that also complain about him being older. Well, it's like you know he's aging. You know that he isn't entering the latter stages of his career. Uh, yeah. Coming off of this this knee that took a long time to rehab just to even get to the point that he's at. You know, you think about Rashawn's rehab and looking where he is, and you think about the journey that it took Bakhtiari uh, to get to where he is, and this is proof in the pudding that everyone responds differently. Everyone gets hurt differently. You know, everyone has to go go their own path to uh, recovery. And like Prison Matt said, uh, we've been here. We know we know that this is going to be the process going going forward. We I don't think anybody going into this season thought that David Bakhtiari was going to play 17 games. Like and if and if you really thought that, then you should really do a little bit more research on what's going on with your team because I I don't know about you, but I didn't expect him to play every game this year. So Right. Yeah. Same. It's just like last year, just like this year, some fans with Jordan love it's unrealistic expectations. You know, you're seeing it in Chicago and we'll get to Chicago here in a minute. We'll wrap the show up with a little Chicago bears talk. Some of you guys are going, Oh, this is about to get good. It's wild up there. But anyway, um, yeah. So like with Chicago, they're putting unrealistic expectations on Justin Fields. These people that are saying he's always going to be an MVP race. This and that. like Michael Lombardi said, I don't, I hope this doesn't happen, but like he's saying, from a from a Bears perspective, let's just let the guy become a decent quarterback. Why does he have to be an MVP all of a sudden? Like you're putting all this unneeded pressure on him, right? And uh, yeah, Stephen in the chat says, and you wonder why Belichick and Marshawn Lynch would would always answer the way they do. Completely agree. <laughs> Everybody makes it sound not that you're doing this, Stephen, but a lot of people make it sound like Bill Belichick won't answer any questions. If you get someone who asks him a good question and it has something to do with the love of football or the history of football or the X's and O's, that's not going to tip a hand and giving him a disadvantage on Sunday, bro, he gives the best answers ever. But if you've got people like that, that are circling the wagons and trying to gouge a little bit, it's tough. And I love what box said to, to Demofsky, to if I understood correctly and I heard it right, he looked over him and said, you didn't run with the story, did you, Rob? And Rob went, no. And he looked back over and said, so whoever did, you need to make it right. Right. Wouldn't, isn't that, isn't that journalism? And then we get the, then the camera cuts off. And everybody got quiet and he goes, I'm asking a question. <laughs> and the camera goes, Zoop. I love it, dude. I, I'm wondering if you broke out a switch, but, uh, Let's see here. Uh, Milltown Corey in the chat says, Soldier Field is supposed to be one of the worst grass fields, correct? It was, but to the best of my knowledge, they've got Bermuda on it now. I believe they have straightened that out finally. It took a long time, right? It's but, still yeah. better than turf. Even oh, even that, 
that pile of crap field in Chicago is better than turf. Most players would prefer it. There's two things that come into play, one of which I just learned yesterday talking to Mike Wall is, you know, the first one I knew about already, the reason they prefer grass over turf is because the the grass can give. And if it gives and it tears, okay, great. But if the turf doesn't give, so if you put yourself in a bond and your cleats get stuck in that turf, that you know, you've got two immovable objects. Something's got to give. It's going to be the object in, in between, in the middle, and those are the ACLs, the PCLs, the MCLs, right? That's what's going to give first. Um, on top of that, like Mike talked about, which I never thought about this, he said these new field turf is very springy. So it's like you're almost playing on a mini trampoline, and that's the worst on your muscles, your joint. He's a health nut. He, he actually said on our podcast, I enjoyed the staying in health, working out aspect more than I did playing the game. Like that's I loved it more than anything. Right. He he has studied this stuff and, and become an absolute expert in taking care of your joints, your muscles, your ligaments, all those things. And he's like, it's so bad. And and what he said on here was if Bach did sit out because it's a turf and and he knows his knee is in such shape that, hey, it's just going to swell up and get 10 times worse then he has the right to do that. Right. Like that's isn't that what's better for the team that you don't ruin it right now. But I love I don't know. I like Bach, man. I'm glad he's on the team. But uh, let's see here. Uh, Jake in the chat. Plus, everybody responds differently to knee injuries. Absolutely, one hundred percent true. Uh, Andy A. Pack in the chat says the Bach disrespect is insane. LOL. I completely agree. Um, it's like every year you got to pick somebody. Last year it was twelve, right? And and I, I know many people. I think Andy was one. He wanted to move on from Aaron Rodgers, but it, it wasn't like he hated Aaron Rodgers. It was just I think now's the time to turn the page and see what we got in love. We don't feel like we're competing right now. I completely respect that, right? Um, but they it's like a certain portion of the fan base always has to have someone that they hate, right? It was Aaron for some of them. This year it's Bach. And, of course, Joe Barry, it seems like he's the when, – when one player goes out and plays good, Tim, and he, he comes off the, the crap list, now they go right back to Barry and go, all right, we just need to fire Joe Barry. He's the bad guy now. <laughs> it's like we're in week two. Let's let's kind of see how this thing plays out a little bit. But uh yeah. All right, let's see the what Joe Barry doing. hate is unwarranted. It really is. I mean it is, yeah. He's it, just he's installed a scheme, he's calling plays. Now I could see I hate Joe Barry's play calls situationally. You might you might have a valid argument if you went back uh, some down and distance and situations in some of these games where you could say, Hey, I wish we would have called something differently. Okay. That might be a valid argument, but the overall encompassing argument that he's, you know, horrible and needs to go is just, that's crazy to me. Always has been. Yeah, completely agree. We got Mike Hebring with the uh, super chat. Thank you so much, Mike. He said, the question is what is Goot doing with 69 at the season end? I think you've got, Basically, two, maybe three options, right? The first option is you can cut him out, right, and free up $20 million. Okay, that's that's an option. Uh, the second option is trading him, right? Now, with trading him, you've got to find someone who's going to work out a deal for a guy who has battled knee injuries and is basically in the last few years of his career, it seems like. it. Who knows? He may recover and play for several more years. We don't know. Um, that's another option. The other one is to restructure his contract. And when I say that, people go, he's not giving money up. He's not giving money back, all this stuff, right? You got to understand, he can still be the highest paid tackle in the league, and we could free up $7 million in, in salary cap. 
that can still happen. Okay. So it's not just as simple as, okay, he's got to take a pay cut. Yes, he could take a pay cut and the money he's guaranteed is $19 million. Now he's got to ask himself, can I get more than $13 million in the open market? And that answer may be no, you know, Um, but what is he going to do? If I had to guess, Mike, my guess would be box not going to be on this team next year because there's more things that have to be maneuvered. First of all, he's got to be healthy. He's got to want to play. These are all questions, right? Um, They've got to restructure the contract. He's got to be willing to do that. And he's got to want to play for the Packers too. He's, he's essentially got an out if he wants it. He can refuse to restructure that contract and force them to release him, and then he can go sign wherever he wants, right? But they're darn sure not going to carry him for $40 million. That ain't going to happen. Now, they could add voidable years. I think that would be negligence at best, you know, malpractice at best, I should say, uh, by the front office because it just doesn't make sense to absorb more of a future cap hit for a guy who's obviously kind of winding down his career. And that's coming from a Bakhtiari fan. I hope he's on the team next year. But Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, those, those reasons you just listed off are are why I thought trade was a possibility, not the whole Aaron wants, you know, Bach in New York scenario that people were drumming up. Um, I honestly think, you know, if they're going to trade him, that would have happened already or would be happening very soon. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, isn't Halloween the trade deadline? Isn't that crazy? I think it's Halloween this year is the, the trade deadline, October 31st. Is it really? Yeah. So um, I would think if he's, if he's going to be dealt, that would have happened or would be happening quickly. And then I think we're left with either cut or a restructure. And I don't, I don't see them cutting them outright. So I guess we'll see how far the can can be kicked down the road and uh, see if we get them back next year. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, United Bates, thank you so much for the super chat. He said, what was the issue with our late game play? Um, last game felt like the offense was dull in the fourth. Was that conservative play calling or maybe just lack of player experience? Um, I personally don't think it was um, conservative play calling, me personally. Um, when I look at the plays that were called, initially you guys know I was complaining. I say complaining, but I was like the one I disagreed with was throwing on first down when you still had that lead, right? But then you go back and watch the All-22, and Jordan actually canned from a run play to a pass play, which was a beautiful can call. Now, he just misread the safety and missed Romeo, or missed Romeo Dobbs running open on the crosser. And like I was saying with Paul, some people were suggesting that that Romeo Dobbs didn't run the right route, that Matt LaFleur said something about that. I heard other people say, no, that wasn't the play. I'm not here to argue that. All I know is Romeo Dobbs was running butt naked through the trailer park, and Jordan didn't see him. If Jordan hits that, hits Romeo Dobbs there, touchdown. it's a 75-yard touchdown. Jordan loves leading the league in touchdown passes. He just engineered the game-selling drive, and we've got our next franchise quarterback. Instead, <laughs> he misreads the safety, throws the pretty much throws the ball away on the other crosser, and we're sitting here going, what happened? So, United Base, to answer your question, um, I, I think it was just uh, – I think there was a little bit of the the, the youth aspect that came into play. Um, like one of the stats suggested, this was the youngest offense in the league against the fourth Otis defense. So you've got experience, whether they're great players or not. Experience yeah. matters, right, Tim? 
Oh, I agree. And, you know, that's that can be a pretty broad term. When I think lack of experience, I mean, on the surface, of course, they're all first and second year players, a lot of these guys. Um, but there's also the other end of the coin, which is experience in the trenches together in a game, going through adversity on the field, down after down building chemistry we know the camaraderie and you know the the locker room is is great there's there's a vibe the guys get along they want to play for each other um they pick each other up we know that but when you're when you're on the field and all of a sudden now you're down or you're about to be down you're you're actively blowing a lead you know you you don't have the experience when you can look across each other in the huddle and know that you know you guys have been there it's it's like right. we talked about Bach and Aaron. Those guys, you know, they've been through hell and back together, you know, for a long time. Well, we don't have any of that on this team, and that's going to come with time and with tests. And, you know, like you had said earlier, Clayton, like it, that Atlanta game is going to prove to be a big uh, galvanizing moment for this team. And, and we're going to tell how much uh, based on how they come out on Sunday against the Saints. Absolutely. I'm excited, man. Lambo noon game. Don't get any better. Um, let's do this. Let's hit our last segment. I've got to hop on uh, with another podcast. Uh, it's called uh, Hey, We Like Your Pod. They're going to highlight our podcast. It's one of them that has gotten a little bit of notoriety there, and we appreciate them showing us love. So I got to make sure I honor my commitment to hop over there with them. But first, we got to talk about the Chicago Bears. Tim, have you kept up with any of this stuff on their defensive coordinator, man? Oh man, I've, I was listening to Ryan's, um, I don't know if you caught Ryan's pod at all, I did. Um, but, uh, he, it was very cathartic as he so eloquently stated. Um, but yeah, I've kinda, you know, I try not to, I try to stay away from dumpster fires, you know, they get a little hot and dangerous, you know, you don't want to get burned. You, you want to stay away from the dumpster fire, just back up you know, keep your distance. So, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's kind of a sensitive subject too. You know, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make light of a situation that could be very, very, um, very serious. Right. At the same time, I can't help but think about the Chicago bears fan, this whole off season. That was my first experience with bears fans being really toxic. I mean, they were, yeah. it was bad. I was like, Holy cow, these people, they're, they absolutely hate Packer fans, and they are just waiting for the opportunity to just stomp on their grave, right? So essentially what I've heard, and again, this is all allegedly, um, go do your own research, but the best I can gather is the FBI has gone in and raided the Chicago Bears defensive coordinator's house, okay, Allen Williams. Now there's been a couple of different, stories that have kind of dropped and, and suggestions. There's one story that I heard, and again, this is all alleged, that they were seen taking laptops out of his house. Now, you know, in 2023, unfortunately, most of the time, and I'm not suggesting this is what's going on, but most of the time when they're seen taking devices like that out of someone's house, it's the, it's the CP thing, right? And I don't even like to say it because it makes it, I mean, it, it bothers me bad to think that that even goes on in this country. And if you don't know what that means, you're probably better off not knowing. Just know it's really bad. Okay. Yep. The other it's thing, was, that or it's financial. Right. And that, that was the other thing, too. They said there was other rumors that it was drug related, meaning like he might have been illegally selling drugs somehow. Now, 
immediately the Bears fans come out and go, oh, this is probably nothing. They just hate the Bears, blah, blah, blah. Well, he resigned, so I think we would all agree. something. Yeah. yeah. There were rumors that they raided Hallis Hall, the Bears' front office. I I heard that wasn't true. Of course, that was Ian Rappaport that said that wasn't true, who we all know he works for the league. Therefore, he works for all 32 owners or 31 owners and Mark Murphy. He's kind of the league's voice, right, um, from an insider perspective. Um, then I heard later on, though, it's they, they actually – they were ordered to say that they didn't raid Hallis Hall which would kind of make sense if the FBI put a gag on him and said, you can't talk about this, right? So just it got ugly quick, Tim, ugly real quick. Now, on top of that, you had Justin Fields kind of calling out the coaching staff, right? Now, today they made a lot of it at practice, um, which is, you know, you kind of come to expect. But I'm going to share my screen real quick. I shared a tweet. Hopefully you guys can hear it good enough. If you can't, I apologize. But we'll kind of sum up what Justin Fields said and then we'll get you guys out of here. But let me go ahead. I'm going to share the screen. This is from my Twitter account. I made a little video just kind of poking fun at it because, you know, I, when I heard it, I went, what did he just say? He basically blamed the coaches. But uh, this is uh, Justin Fields talking uh, to reporters, and listen what he says here, gang. What do you think was causing you to think so much, maybe think too much? Um, you know, could be, uh, you know, uh, coaching. I think. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it makes it, you know, uh, they're doing their job when they're giving me, you know, what to look at, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I you know, can't be thinking about that when the game comes. I prepare myself throughout the week. And then when the game comes, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's time to play free at that point. So, um, you know, just thinking less and, you know, playing more. You sure about that? <laughs> you sure about that? That's why? You sure it wasn't because after the thing that happened to me, no one could look at me without dying laughing? You sure about that? Dude, I, could, I, I cannot believe he said I need to think less out there. <laughs> he's, leading, he's, he's tied for second in the league in interceptions. He's taken more sacks than everyone but maybe one or two quarterbacks. And he's saying, I don't need to think. What are you talking? And and people showing yeah. screenshots of open seam receivers that he refused to throw to he from that Kyler Murray quarterback academy exactly. right there. Exactly, man. I I don't need to think. I just go out there and you know play a little Xbox, hang out with the homies, and all will be well on Sunday, right? Yeah. I guess it's not working out too well though. Now think about this too. This is this is something that always bothers me. Um, and this is just kind of encompassing the Chicago Bears as a whole. You know, most of the time when you draft a quarterback that high and there's question marks, um, but they've got kind of that mobility, that excitement to them, it kind of comes from the top down, right? Sometimes the owners fall in love with quarterback prospects. You know, J- Jerry Jones and, and his son, uh, Stephen, I think it is, um, almost got into a fist fight during the Johnny Manziel draft. A lot of people don't know this. They're in the front office, and Jerry Jones wanted Johnny Manz. Johnny Manziel's from Texas. He's this playmaker, blah, blah, blah. And, and Steven bucked on him and basically said, no, we ain't doing it, right? And and Jerry was trying to force the hand. They said that Steven grabbed Jerry by the collar and put him against the wall, grabbed his dad by the collar and put him against the wall. And they said that Jerry laughed at him, said, are you going to hit me? <laughs> but they, he was trying to tell his dad, like, you do not want to do this, right? Um, yeah, what's Jerry saying now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you got Deshaun Watson in Cleveland, right? 
And the whole league is ticked off at Cleveland for overpaying Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun Watson may return back to that, you know, top five quarterback form that he was before he became a creeper. That may be the case. But at the same time, no one else has created that kind of precedent of guaranteeing a contract the way they have to Deshaun Watson. That was the Haslam stepping in, the owner of the Browns stepping in and getting his hands in it, right? You have all these owners that are always screwing this stuff up, and it's always a culture issue. And I bring this up because all we ever hear is what's holding the Green Bay Packers back is because they don't have an owner. And yeah. when you look at these organizations and the things that FBI raiding a coach's house, the quarterback basically saying the coaches are making me think and that's not what I need to do. Like all of this stuff, it's just, you know, who was it? Montgomery that wanted out this year, right? There was rumors going around that the locker room, they nobody there cared about winning. I think Montgomery actually said that, right, before he went to Detroit. It's like all this culture issue. And then you look at Green Bay and it, what's crazy is I've I seen some of the chat, and we, unfortunately we can't get to all the chats, but, you know, they were talking about the kicking issue, right, and how we we didn't get the kicker out there in time. We had to burn a timeout, or we didn't burn a timeout, took a penalty, then we had to punt on Sunday, right? LaFleur took ownership of it. The kicker took ownership of it. Rich Basaccia today took ownership of it. Everybody's taking ownership of it. And you, you're not going to convince me, Tim, not that you would, obviously. <laughs> you're not going to convince me that the Packers – internal structure is is a bad one when you look at our culture right and what we cultivate and then look at someone like chicago or even arizona or cleveland or whatever right i believe it i mean owners care about revenue they do not care about people usually <laughs> uh and the debate is also there if they care about their players i mean on the surface of course they do but I think the the bottom line is is uh, you know it is a business at this level, and uh, you know you have the right to run your business how you see fit when you own it, and uh, this is proof that you know not everyone's cut from the same cloth. Um, you've got ownership groups out here in the NFL that are phenomenal and and great, and they don't have culture issues like this, uh, and then we have organizations like the one we just talked about and a few others that are on the other end of the spectrum. So the Packers being unique and being owned by people like you and me um, is what makes it so special. And that's, that's the culture here. You know, we've, we've had the same culture since 1919. So proud of it. Yeah, definitely. Jake Shavink in the chat said, it's also about surveying with rapid speed and having the fill out there to anticipate wide receiver movements and delivering the on-time clean strike. There is nothing about your comment there, Jake, that makes me think of Justin Fields. But you're exactly right. Especially <laughs> anticipate wide receiver movements. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, we got one more super chat, and I got a row. I do not want to be late for these folks. Oh, um, man. United Bates, uh, thank you so much for the super chat. He said, uh, Jaquan Brisker apparently locked Stephen A. Smith's quote tweet, calling them, quote, trash. He said he did it for motivation, but seems like a lot of internal issues in low morale. Not good for them anyway. Yeah, aren't you supposed to ignore the noise? Like, ain't that what the good team – isn't that what the Patriot way was, right? Ignore the noise. Yep. And, you know, you, you'll never hear a extremely successful coach say, hey, guys, go out there and get us some motivation. Go like a tweet on Twitter where someone's calling our team trash. Uh, maybe Jaquan Brisker just isn't intelligent. I don't know. 
but that's uh that's not a good look right there so there you go what is a good look though is united baits gifting more memberships here in the chat some new members uh shaw and ryan eden ian blue Huron. All I love that you can see this and I can't see it. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but that's good stuff, man. And then we also had a, another uh, YouTube member. I want to give them a shout out real quick. I'll pull it up here and then we'll get you guys out of here. Um, we've uh, had a lot of activity in United Bates. Dude, you're, you're awesome, man. You're absolutely awesome, dude. We appreciate you uh, supporting other people too. We still hadn't heard from the, uh, the last winner there. Um, I know I've got it wrote down. Melissa still hasn't emailed me, so we might be spinning it again this Sunday. But we're going to give that Lucas Van Ness jersey to someone who wants it, I promise you. I'll take it. I'll take it, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So let's see here. Uh, New memberships. Just want to give a shout-out, and we're out of here, guys. Um, Real quick, let's see. uh, Yeah, here we go. That looks like the new ones just came in. All right, cool. So we got Ian Hurley. We got Shaw LaQuay, I think is how you say it. LaQuay, I apologize if I butchered that. Eden Wildy, we got Blue Heron, um, Brian Eckerd, and then, of course, uh, the, just the other day we have Mark. Um, I know I'm going to butcher that last name, Mark. I, I, I don't even want to try to say it. I think it's Kermpotic, maybe? But uh, he was in the chat earlier and was basically like, hey, man, excited to be about be a part of the group. So congratulations to all the new PTA Posse members. And obviously United Bates, man. You are awesome, dude. We appreciate you supporting the stream and supporting other people. You guys are are awesome. So with that being said, Zane Strong said, yeah, me, please. <laughs> Talking about the jersey. Uh, we'll, get, we'll have other giveaways, too. Like I said, we got an autographed John Coon jersey. Uh, as soon as the winner takes this Lucas Van Ness off my hands, we'll get, get right into the John Coon giveaway. But if we don't hear from Melissa again by midnight Saturday, then we'll we'll wrap, we'll uh, we'll spin the wheel again this Sunday and um, – We'll uh, we'll give it away in the post game show this week. But regardless, we're gonna have giveaways all year long. And again, that wasn't planned. It's just we want to give back to those who are supporting the stream. We really appreciate it. It means the world to us. Tim, you got anything else before we wrap this thing up, buddy? No, man. Just uh, looking forward to the game Sunday. And uh, I'm taking your advice. We're gonna go check out a little Green Bay East High football That's tomorrow. Cool. Friday night lights. So looking forward to that. Yeah, there's nothing better than high school football, man. I just love it. Just knowing that it's it's just that love of the game is being jump started, you know, in a young young person's career. And I say oh, young yeah. person for a reason because we've had several girls here locally in Tennessee that are balling. My nephew, his freshman year, Tim, on special teams play a kick return, got decapitated <laughs> by a girl. Boy. I was just like, I love my nephew, but it's like. Yes, girl, get it. Let's go. <laughs> Out there running with those guys. I thought it was awesome. I can't um, wait to see it, man. They haven't won a game yet this year. They're 0-4, and they haven't scored a point this year. So, really? I'm a, yes, every every whooping they've received, had they put a goose egg up. But, uh, you know, I love the underdog. So, let's see if they can uh, get that first win and get it at home. So, it'll be uh, pretty fun. Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. And I just think it would be awesome, excuse me, going to one of those games and knowing they're playing right there on Old City Stadium, right? Like at that, yeah. that field and just the tradition. Right, just Right around the corner from, from Curly's old house. Got to love it. Yeah, absolutely, man. 
All right, Tim, I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much for your time, man. I want to thank everybody in the chat. You guys are absolutely awesome. You always make the show. Appreciate your questions. I'm sorry the channel has gotten to the point where we can't answer all of them or comment on all of them, but I love seeing you guys interact with each other in the chat. That's what we want to create. Uh, you know, Packer social media is already awesome. You know, they don't need us by no means, but we want to give a place where people can come learn, uh, teach us some stuff too, and talk in a positive manner to each other, laugh at our opponents a little bit, and and try to understand, you know, why a team won, why they lost. Um, hopefully you guys had fun even with the chalk talk this week, even though it was an L that the Packers took, hopefully we all come away at least understanding what happened in the game uh, a little bit more. And that even, even the losses you come away going, man, I love football, right? You know, you're just, you're understanding the game at a little bit different level and always giving each other room to grow. That's the big thing. So I want to thank everybody out there. Like I said, thank you guys in the chat. Thanks to all the YouTube members, United Bates. Thank you buddy for all your contributions. You are awesome. And for those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go back up. The power sweep. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Right by this and field inside. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, that's inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. If you look at this play, we'll be trying to get him a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the alley.